Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of the Uptown Experts podcast. And beside me, I have the one and only <laughs> Mike Sistili. Mike, thank you for joining us. Clyde, it's a pleasure. Long time coming, and I appreciate the invite. Oh, man. I, I remember when I was sitting down with you in my office, and we were talking. And, uh, you know, as we often do. <laughs> and um, I remember we were, we were sitting down and we were just having a general conversation about business and, and mortgages and real estate and all the stuff that we do. And um, this was before I was even starting the podcast. Yeah, no, you're, you actually mentioned that you're like, we should be recording this. Because <laughs> I literally... I, what was a 15 minute coffee turned into i think it was an hour and a half <laughs> and actually that started in your boardroom exactly and then the next time we were in your office and that went even longer yeah but and uh, but that's what you get right great minds smart minds and uh, you can just talk about anything and that's what we're we're trying to do here today so before we dive in why don't we uh, take the opportunity and tell people a little bit about Mike Sicily. So who, who is Mike Sicily? Well, who are you? What do you do? Well, my name is Mike Sicily. I'm a mortgage agent and realtor, family man, sports fan. Um, I'm starting to think I'm the reason why the Leafs and uh, the Buffalo Bills and AC Milan always lose because uh, <laughs> I, I think I have bad luck. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, I'm just honestly fun-loving guy and really focused on uh, hard work providing solutions to people and uh, keeping up relationships with old friends. And uh, I don't really ask for much, just, just pure happiness. Very nice, very nice, very simple. So what about on the, the philanthropy side? Do you do any philanthropy? It's something that I've always wanted to get into, um, not there yet. It's something that's close to my heart. I love participating in events for charities, and I'd love to host my own events for charities. Uh, sick kids is very dear to my heart. Autism is uh, dear to my heart. Um, I don't. I don't want to say that one's better than the other because it, it isn't. Any any charity or any event or any cause that you can get involved in is it's worthwhile and it means the world to whoever it's supporting and to people that probably wouldn't even tell you. Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's, it's the reason why, you know, we, we try to do the same, right? We try to chip in where we can. And, you know, I, at the end of the year, we always try to make it a little contest. But really, at the end of the day, it's not about, this might sound bad, but it's for me, it's not about the individual prize that, that, no. that we give out. It's about all the charities yes. that we're helping along the way, right? And people are like, well, then why do you, why don't you just choose one yourself? Well, it's for me, it's hard. How do you choose one? No, you can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Like, that's even something I talked to my daughter about. And I'm like, you know, at Christmas time, instead of, you know, focusing on everything that's under your tree, you know, we should make sure that we focus on the kids that aren't celebrated. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, Sick Kids is very, very dear to my heart. And I really do not like going in that place. Oh my and gosh. Uh, like, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole, but that's why it's so dear to me because I wish that I had the ability to make that all go away. I, I hear you. And, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep, but, you know, I'm sure as, as parents, we've all made that 
unfortunate trip to sick kids at some point in time. And, you know, I, for us, for, for me and my family, I know the first time we went there was with my, my youngest and, you know, we didn't even know what was going on. Right. I, I just remember I was, I was at work and my wife called me and she's like, you know, I'm heading, I'm heading to sick kids with, with Julian. I'm like, what? That's a call you don't want. What what the heck? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm already downtown. I'm like, okay, let's go. And it was nuts. And, you know, just seeing the, like, all the things that happened there. Like, I've never walked in the doors of that yeah. place before. And, you know, just having gone through the process as a parent and seeing the care, the level of care that they give you, you know, for me, it changed me. And ever since that day, I've donated every single year to sick kids yeah. because it's they they they've saved my family as far as I'm concerned, right? So I'm I'm with you on that one. It's it's crazy, but you know, the philanthropy side, trying to do more. It's I think that's part of what we do as business people as well, right? Yeah, it's it's always something you want to be a part of. Like there's no there's no reason why you wouldn't want to give back, mm. um, and whether it's time. It doesn't always have to be money, whether it's time or something is just just making yourself available, right? But I don't think anybody's bigger than that, to be honest with you. I agree with you. So, I mean, to me, I, I, it, it kind of sounds like there's some underlying things here where, you know, Mike's the guy that, that likes to help people, that, you know, kind of a deep-rooted, loving guy. Problem solver. Problem solver. So Actually, sorry, let me rephrase that. There's no, a mentor of mine told me there's no such thing as problems. There's only solutions waiting to be found. I like that one. And uh, that always stuck with me. So, um, but yeah, that's me. The problem solver. The problem solver. Or a solution finder. The solution finder. <laughs> so tell me then, why did you choose to go into to mortgages and and further that with, why did you... Why did you end up, you know, getting your real estate license? To well, as well, funny thing is, you got to rewind the clock. I didn't want to get into mortgages. I wanted to get into real estate. Okay. And um, I bumped into a good friend of mine, uh, Paulo, who's uh, the CEO of Union Capital, mm -hmm. and Brizani guy as well. Brizani guy as well. <laughs> and uh, we were talking. I'm like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Well, I'm in financial services and doing mortgages." And he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Honestly, I don't know right now." I'm thinking of getting into real estate. And he's like, well, why don't you get into mortgages? And truth be told, I started to think about it. I'm like, I know a million realtors. I don't know anybody that does mortgages. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said, sure, why not? And got into mortgages and started doing the usual institutional and let me go get this application and, you know, jump those hurdles. And I was like, no way. Did not like it. But... I found that private mortgages were very interesting and provided more of an opportunity to carve out a solution and solve a problem that was immediate. Um, don't get me wrong. Institutional mortgages put food on the table. I'm, I'm not saying they don't, right? But at the end of the day, even as a mortgage agent, there's only so much you can do institutionally. I collect the app. I collect the... The, the supporting documentation, but it's up to a person on the other side to make yeah, the decision. Mm -hmm. Here, you can get more involved with the board. You can get more involved with uh, the lender and figure out, okay, how can we make this work? How does this solution 
really solve what the boar is trying to do. And whether it be a debt consolidation, uh, expansion of business, or very simple, just getting them out of a hard time. Um, you know, I really, really enjoyed that. Even though you and me both know private mortgage is a very bad rap. Very bad rap. And maybe originally it deserved that rap. Yes. But now it's not like that. No. You know, and it's not there. Like, I always say we're trying to you know, sometimes save the borrower from themselves. But at the same time, you're trying to teach the lender not to be greedy. Exactly. You know, and for any lenders that may be listening to this and shaking their head, it's called spade a spade. Yeah. Right? There's a fine line that can be met, a compromise that can be found, and everybody's happy at the end of the day. I'm not telling you not to make money. Everybody's got to make money. You have to make money. But at the same time, we don't need to exploit a situation. Correct. And that's what I really enjoyed about the private side, was that I could take the application, I could speak to the board, find the problem. Okay, let's go do this. You know, maybe it's a matter of doing a interest reserve, which gives you 12 months to focus on something else. Whether it's uh, paying off a couple of debts, which allows you to fix something else to free up some cash flow, and then you can figure out the next steps. And um, that's really where I gravitated to. And then... Once COVID hit, I don't want to say I got bored, but I was like, maybe it's, I got nothing else to do. Maybe it's time to get the real estate license. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I knew a lot of, uh, a lot of friends, a lot of uh, colleagues were in, uh, in the industry and they're uh, very, very good at what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not one that um, I don't envy, I admire. So I take, I learn, and I hope to that into my everyday life mm -hmm. so i saw what they were doing and um a good friend of mine frank uh, at roller page uh he's like i think he'd be a good fit for my team and uh so i got my license and ended up doing uh doing real estate as well uh i think the candle's almost burnt <laughs> to the middle because uh, uh it, it, it's not easy doing both sides no but uh but that's that's kind of how i ended up here the evolution of, 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 the, of the business, right? The evolution of starting as the mortgage broker, looking at, you know, the real estate side as the next step uh, in the foundation to, to building your business. And it's, it's, you know, again, similar to the story that, that I've taken, right, or that I have. And um, did you find that when you took the next step and became a realtor, after being the mortgage guy for so long that you were viewed differently by your fellow realtors at all? Did you ever, did you yeah. ever get that? Yeah, yeah. They, they look at you differently because you're... It's hard to take off your mortgage hat. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're working with buyers. And, you know, again, you don't want to be rude to people. You're like, oh, I want to go see this house. And you're like, you can't afford this house. Like, what are we what going are we to look at this house for? Yeah. You know, but... From the real estate side, you would never say that. No, you would just show them the house. It's not my problem. Exactly. Right? I'm representing you as a buyer. I'm going to take you to this property. Do you have a pre-approval? Take, you've taken care of all that? Okay, fine. Then here. If you want to buy it, by all means. That's not me. But because I'm speaking from a mortgage side, a mortgage perspective, I've seen the damage it causes when your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Mm-hmm. So, it, okay, you have a pre-approval, which, again, I've said this, and I don't care what anybody thinks. They're useless. They're not worth okay? the paper they're printed on. They're not. 
And I said this on Twitter, and I got chastised for it, and I really don't care because they're not worth it. No. Because people lie. Show me. I can say whatever I want. It's a computer that says yes on a pre-approval. Exactly. So now you go buy this house. Well, I got a pre-approval. Okay, well, you said you make 100000 a year. You bonus 20 Gs last year. So really you make 80. Exactly. That changes a lot of things. What is your two-year average? Sir? Right. And then uh, that's a nice car you drive. Yeah, I just got it. Amazing. <laughs> Didn't take that into consideration. Where did that come from? <laughs> you know, so they, like, they don't get that part. No. And that's where we try to be like, well, can you truly afford this? Correct. But then on the flip side is when I went to go buy my house. I remember I'm at the sales center. He's like, do you have your pre-approval? I don't need one. I don't need, what, what do you and want? And he's like, well, you, I'm like, I don't need one. Yeah. Okay, I do this for a living. I know what I can afford. Let's just sign the paperwork. Yeah. When the time comes, I'm buying the house. I'll, right? I'll figure out a way to close. And then he <laughs> said to me, he's like, well, you don't know what will happen in the future. Exactly. So what does a piece of paper change anything? <laughs> what is this piece of paper good for? So you think because this is here, what the bank is going to be, well, I said yes two years ago, so now... Thumbs up, buddy. No. No. That's no. not how it works. That's definitely not And how what it works. I tell my clients is, you know what? Forget the pre-approval. Zero in on two, three properties that you like, and let's use those actual numbers. Exactly. So now you like this house in this area. This is what the property taxes. These are what the bills are. This is what the price is. This is what you're putting down. Exactly. Yes, you can afford that. You can afford to buy. Yeah. In this area. And also, what's the one thing about pre-approvals that no realtors seem to know? The pre-approvals at a higher contract rate than the one you're getting. A hundred percent. So it's lowering your buying power. Exactly. Wow, rocket science. Can you imagine? Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I this is why, I, Mike, we had to do this. Because although our opinion may not be the popular one. It's not. It's the one in my opinion anyway, and it seems to be yours, that is the one that is probably the one that should prevail. It has to, because it, it's just common sense. Like, yeah. nobody's telling you not to go get your dream home. No. But just make sure you can afford it. Run the numbers. Like, I remember somebody, a, a friend of mine's dad once told me, he's like, the only difference between my generation is yours is that we would go buy the house where we could afford it. You guys want to stay where you grew up. Sure. Well, why wouldn't I? Is it, but that's the problem. That is the problem. We had to work to get to where you grew up. You guys just want to stay here, mm -hmm. right? And I, I know I've even t I've told you this before, and I, I tell everybody like when I first moved out on my own, I remember the first night I called home. I'm like, Ma, where's all the channels, man? Like, <laughs> like I'm flipping. I don't see nothing on TV. What's going on here? And you know that's where you start to realize like stuff costs money. Of course, man. You know, like I'm a big NFL guy. I love NFL. So, you know, that first September that I'm living on my own and I call Rogers at the time, I need NFL Sunday ticket. They're like, well, it costs this much. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> what? No, really? <laughs> you start thinking. You're like, damn. So I guess I'm not getting Sunday ticket. <laughs> uh, but it starts teaching you about the value of a dollar, yes. right? What do I need to spend money on? What do I not want to spend money on? And, and I think that's the biggest lesson anyone can learn is literally go, go rent. Mm -hmm. Go rent for one year. It will change your perspective on everything. Yeah. And you'll get a crash course in, in finance 101. That should be like 
graduate university yeah. or high school or whatever it is, you're going to be Mr. or Mrs. Independent, go live on your own. Go right? live on your own. You remember in, uh, in high school, uh, I don't remember the course. I think it was finance or economics. Okay. I think it was economics. And we had to do a, a project of uh, buying a stock and see if you make money. Yes, yes, I remember what this What does that teach you? Absolutely nothing. nothing. <laughs> Why don't you teach me about life insurance? Why don't you teach me about property tax? Why don't you teach me about a mortgage? Why don't you teach me about a credit card? Right, teach me about credit and how bad credit is. Because what are we as human beings? We love credit. We love credit. We're a credit-driven country. Yeah, I just bought a brand new iPad on my credit card. Oh, I'm so happy. Meanwhile, by the time I'm done paying it with all the interest, I just bought five. Exactly. But I didn't realize, I don't realize that. No, because right? we're not educated. Or when i 18 years old and I went to the Leaf game and I'm like, oh, I want that Leaf towel. And MBNA is like, oh, sign up for a credit card. And you're like, okay, yeah, perfect. So I take $500, right? The credit card comes in three thousand. Eighteen years old, three thousand. <laughs> okay, where are we going? <laughs> you know, next thing you know, like uh, this thing don't work no more. What happened? Right, and uh, you're like, oh, you gotta pay. I gotta pay that back. Who taught? Yeah, like who taught you? Shit. And and another lesson is when I so when I had that, that yeah, twenty eight. I know ninety eight. I was eighteen. I don't remember. I don't even remember the years. Twenty eighteen. <laughs> um, ninety eight, and. Um, so, of course, because I wasn't mature enough to have a credit card and to have that limit, right? You go delinquent on it. Of course. And uh, so I remember fast forward to 2016 when I go get my mortgage on my house. The underwriter's looking at my, he's like, well, you were delinquent on a credit card in uh, 1998. I'm like, yeah, so I was 18. Like, I paid it off and it's gone. Like, yeah. What are we talking what about? What are we talking about? Exactly. But the report doesn't change. It's still there, you know, and that leads me to my next point about the pre-approvals and the actual uh, making it real on a commitment is an application has liabilities for a reason, you know, like don't lie because the credit report doesn't. So it's like they'll put, oh, I have one credit card, a thousand dollars. And then you go pull the go pull the credit report and it's 10 cards, 10 grand each. And you're like, first of all, how'd you even get 10 cards? <laughs> Like, I can't even get 5G's uh, uh, extension on my credit, and you got 10, you're walking around with 10 they cards. You just keep signing, and uh, this, you know? this month I make 100, this month I make 200. And, but I think that's the biggest misunderstanding, misconception in this entire industry is this power of a pre approval. Mm -hmm. And it is a valuable tool to understand what you can afford but nobody truly gets the information that's on that piece of paper. No, but it's a starting block. Exactly. All that, in, in my opinion, all that a pre-approval should truly be used for is you're sitting down with a mortgage professional, you're having a, a, a conversation and you're just not sure that you're ready to take the next step. You're not sure that you want your credit pulled and you just want to know the numbers. And for that, yeah, a pre-approval, that should work. Great. But at the same time, Clyde, and let me ask you seriously, you as an individual, if I'm sitting down with you and I tell you that you buy this property after your down payment, $750,000 mortgage at today's current rates is going to be forty-seven dollars to $4,900 a month. You need a piece of paper to tell you whether or not you can afford that? No. No. You know whether or not you can afford that. This is true. However... But the financial literacy. Thank you. 
is non-existent. That is the issue. Because if we were actually educating the youth, the high school students, the university students, if you actually had access to the information that you need to make everyday decisions, imagine where we would be. Everybody would have a house and a mortgage. Yeah. Right? Like, here's another phrase that a lot of people don't get. The interest rate's irrelevant. (laughs) I love this one. The size of the mortgages. Yes. That's what matters. Yes. Because, quite frankly, it could be 10%. But if your mortgage is 300000 it's nothing. doesn't matter. But if it's a million, that's a problem. Now, that seven-figure number changes everything in our industry. Exactly, it changes insured to uninsured, right? It changes payments beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Like, you can run a. I actually ran this scenario, at a four percent bump, a three hundred and thirty thousand dollars mortgage is an extra forty-eight hundred dollars a year. Mm. That's nothing. It's nothing. Imagine a million. Different story. That's a big number. Yes. Now, you look on the real estate side. And the realtor is representing buying clients, buying 2.1, 2.2, getting all Mm -hmm. excited. They're making a nice commission. But think of the people. Like, if I sold my house and I pocketed, let's use 1.5 million, Mm -hmm. and I go buy a house for $2 million, I still have a half a million dollar mortgage. I should be mortgage-free if I'm putting down 1.5 million. You should be. Okay? (laughs) Whether or not I can afford it. Yeah. But now you go buy 2.5, Mm-hmm. You're at a million. It's a million dollars. Why do you want a million dollar mortgage? It comes down to affordability. Exactly. Affordability, sensibility. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever reason you want to give yourself for having that, mm-hmm. I just pray to God you don't lose your income. Because you have a half a million dollar mortgage, you can get out of that. Exactly. Okay, you can pay that off. It's not easy to pay off a million dollars. We're not the states. We don't have 25 year paper, 30 year paper. You just got one. We got terms, which means every five years, every three years, you're going to get dinged. Yeah. Right? And you really need to understand where you're coming from when that happens. So whether you're borrowing refinancing or you're borrowing to purchase, the size matters because that's what's not going to go away. Exactly. You know, and then you think all these people are like, oh, I'll get a HELOC. I'll pay interest only. You gotta pay the principal at some point. At some point. Whether it's even down the road when you sell the property, it's not scot free, right? And the interest keeps climbing. Exactly. But again, it's affordability. Yes. And accountability. You're the only one to blame. You you can't blame the mortgage guy because he got you the you wanted him to get you the approval. You signed the paperwork with the realtor to say you wanted to buy the house. So you can't blame anybody but yourself. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. And, but then this is where working with a professional, though, can help you see things in a different light. You know, like instead of selling your house to buy a bigger house, why don't you work to make your house mortgage-free and then use the equity in that house to buy a second property? doesn't have to be an investment property. It could be a vacation, a cottage that's building your portfolio now, mm-hmm. right? And so instead of having... A larger house and one mortgage, you have two properties and one mortgage. It's a different perspective. Just you're looking at it from a, a different pair of glasses. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. And now you can, you know, all your hard work, 
that has gone to being mortgage free, you can sink it into this other property. Yeah. And you can live a different lifestyle, right? A different lifestyle. Or even, even if you paid off your house and you want to go buy a nice car, treat yourself. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always have to be, I gotta, I have to move up. I have to move up. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, I've seen people even go sideways or, you know, they've done, you know, gone condo, townhome, townhome. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it, but why'd you do that? Like, why did you go from one townhome to another townhome? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I just want a bigger space, but I like the style. Great. Perfect. I can live with that. Makes sense. Right? Oh, it was the only thing you can afford. So why'd you sell? That's the difference of working with a professional is they'll actually challenge what you want to do, not in a negative way or malicious, but to help you learn. Mm -hmm. Because they're actually there to have a conversation, to help you make a decision, but to educate you. Exactly. And that's really where I think the biggest differences lie when, you know, and I'm going to say more so on the mortgage side. And I, I don't... I think I pick on bank reps a lot, especially on the podcast. And I feel bad because, you know, I used to be one, right? But that's also why I'm so tough on, you know, the banking industry and, and you know, salespeople, the mortgage salespeople and the banks. I just wish that there was an extra level of scrutiny that was placed on them so that they took, had to take the time to get that little, little bit extra education in order to have these types of conversations with the buying public because you know myself yourself i don't know i might see 50 clients 100 clients who knows make it in a good year who knows right 200 clients but they're seeing thousands oh, yeah. millions without doing nothing without doing nothing and no offense to them like no some of them are you. hard workers yeah. but you have the benefit of the name yes and you also don't have to be regulated. You don't have to go do the course. I'm writing my private mortgage course <laughs> on July 28th. I'm writing oh, the exam. Yeah. I did the whole course. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. I was arguing with the computer. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't say that. But I have 15 years experience where I've developed my own way of doing it. Mm -hmm. I get what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And yes, the industry needs it. Yes. Because there's a lot of paper pushers. And there's a lot of people that just, they're, I can't say what I want to say, but they're just focused on commission. Yes. And they're chasing you know, the money. That's what we they're call chasing it. the money. They're worse than ambulance chasers. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's another podcast. Uh, and then, um, like, you see the applications that we get in. Mm -hmm. These, the, you don't want to sound ignorant. You don't want to be rude, but it's like a lot of these guys, they don't care. No, they, they just want the commitment so they can do two things. Either go give it to the board, even though it's not good for the board just to make a commission, or they can go shop it around. Or they can go on Kijiji and say, I do private lending. Um, <laughs> I, you don't want to, like you said, I, you're not trying to pick on it, but it's like after so many years, you, you notice things. Yeah. Right? And we see the good, we see the bad, we see the ugly. And, you know, we're immersed in it. And there's so many times that we get, you know, get things thrown at us. Yeah. I wish people would come to us first. In most cases, not, no, let me take that back. I wish people came to us first in all cases. And after you've gone to a mortgage professional and after you've had the conversations and after you know that you've put together a plan 
for you, for your family, for whoever it is that you are trying to support. Then, after you've gone through that first term, go talk to your bank and get whatever you're looking for at that point in time, if you can get a better rate, if that's what you really think. But, I mean, it, it just really, it's reverse. It is. Because... I, I like what you said, though. Like, you know, when we first started, we didn't understand this. And you just expected people, like, I want to work with you, I want to work with you. So, like, you go to the bank and you see this 22-year-old that's just getting in the business, and you're like, you know, but you're going there because it's the bank. Mm -hmm. But I could go and sit down with Clyde or Mike, and they've been in the business, they're family men, they own properties, they can look at it from the same point of view. They can actually speak from real experience. Yeah. Right? Instead of me asking a mortgage question to an individual who doesn't even own a house. They have never owned a home. Right? They never even made a mortgage payment. And, uh, like, I, I remember once I got so some mortgage investments through the private, uh, private vehicle. I got an email from uh, an investor, and they asked me a tax question. Mm. Right away, I was like... I'm not a tax expert, so go ask your accountant in a nice way. But then I noticed the signature at the bottom. <laughs> RSP specialist. Oh, gosh. Like, like, you just asked me a tax question about RSP, but you're an RSP specialist? Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Did I read that right? And, like, so when you have situations like that, how can the general public feel comfortable going to talk to they don't know who's no who knows what they're doing who doesn't know what they're doing and like even us we make mistakes we're human it it, it happens yeah you know but i can literally sit here and i can debate you pros and cons on whichever way you want to go exactly and guess what you may end up being right but like i always say just because you got lucky doesn't make you right <laughs> I like to say uh, a broken clock is right twice a day. Exactly. <laughs> so talk to me about your views on uh, the, the, the current real estate market and the current economic uh, climate that we're in. What, what's Mike's view on everything that, that's going on today? Truthfully, I don't have one. I'm confused. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Because it's just like I just don't get it because you look at some pockets, they're getting beat up. Mm -hmm. You know, these people can't sell the property if their life's dependent on it. They're taking massive hits. And then you look at other pockets, they don't last on the market for two, three days, and they're selling for three, four hundred thousand more. I don't get, it does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. Um, you know, I know from experience, because we've been through cycles, the vultures are coming out. Oh my goodness, in a the, big way. Uh, the wealthy individuals are coming out who have mm -hmm. the money that can scoop up these properties, mm -hmm. and they're not waiting. No. Um, you know, but I can tell you this. I've never seen more importance on the level of care of your property mm -hmm. than I have now. Yes. Because properties that have been meticulously cared for or renovated move in two Quick. seconds. Yeah. Ones that have been let slide, just sit. Yeah. Because nobody wants the headache. No. And I can say this from pure experience because I've said to my wife, if we do ever buy an, uh, like a larger home for our family, if I spend $2 million, I don't want to lift a finger. Inside and outside, 
must be done. Yeah. Top to bottom. Just want to move in. Right. That's it. Turnkey. Yeah. In, shirt off, straight in the pool. <laughs> I uh, will 100% agree with you there. Right? <laughs> but now, the odds of finding that, okay, whatever. We, we, we know the rules. You make 10 boxes, hope to f- hit five. Yeah. But it goes to show the mentality is that if I am going to spend this money, then I d- I'm not doing it on a fixer-upper. No. If I'm going to do a fixer-upper, then I'm going to spend $800,000. i am going to spend that amount and use the same, the same money. So when you're looking, in, like you're looking in different pockets and you're trying to understand what's going on there, it just, there, there, there's no pattern. There's no rhyme or reason to why two properties that are essentially the same, but one was renoed, gets $400,000 more. It doesn't equate. But it's happening. I know. You know, and then you look at Blue Mountain, Muskoka, Cottage Country, and they're getting decimated. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. You know, I, I won't go into too much detail, but I was, you know, looking at some cottage property and I'm like, okay, this was this was last year. And I'm like, this is expensive. It's really expensive. Fast forward one year, here we are. Beat up. Wow. And it's COVID. It's all the people that bought because of COVID, drove the market up because they couldn't go anywhere. Now they're like, I don't want to stay here. Yeah. This is a waste of money. Yeah. It's not what I'm into. It's not what I want. And, and, and that's another thing too is like, what, what's for you? Mm-hmm. Right? Like I grew up around cottages. I love cottages. I look at it from I can jump in my car and drive to a cottage. Yeah. Other people are like, well, I grew up around family that had condos in Florida or condos mm-hmm. in Arizona. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd rather own. Yeah, but I, I, I can't jump on a plane on a Friday morning, come back Sunday. And end up there. Right? Oh, yes. you can. But. I can't. I'm saying it is possible. But I got to work on Monday. Exactly. So right? If I, don't, and I don't have a G6 <laughs> at my disposal <laughs> to just be like, let's go and come back. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's one thing that's really affected the area. Because, let's be straight, it's a lot of upkeep. Yeah, 100% right? it is. It's you, know, you think about trying to upkeep your own property. Mm-hmm. Now you got to upkeep too. Yeah. Double the bills. Yeah. Double that's the something. <laughs> that's something that's hard to swallow. So yeah. again, it takes me back to my point that it just, nothing makes sense right now because it's literally become very segmented. You want to know my view on the market? Well, where am I looking? And what region am I looking in? And like, do we want to talk about downtown Toronto? Because that's just insulated. Toronto's always going to move. It's always going to move. It's the same thing when we get applications for private mortgages. Yep. Where is it? Downtown? No problem. No Let's problem. talk. Yeah, yeah. 70, I don't care what 80, it is. Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. 80, 85, no problem. <laughs> no problem. I can't lose. Yeah. Oh, but what if it loses? I can't lose. Can't lose. I'll take it. It's, it's, it's the core. <laughs> right? It's downtown Toronto. Yeah. But now it's like, well, I want, to, uh, I want to refinance my property in Oshawa. Slow down. Right, I want to look at. Uh, I'm gonna buy some land in um, Shadow Lake, and I want to build there. Can you give me a construction mortgage? <laughs> no. <laughs> right, like, are you gonna give additional collateral? Yeah, yeah. You can take my house. Yeah, you have three mortgages. Right, and again, like, it just it all boils down to education. It all boils down to knowledge, and everybody has been told that their house is a bank account. Yeah. Which it is, essentially. It is when done properly. When done properly, but it's not a withdrawable bank account. It's at some point in time, you'll get that money. Mm-hmm. 
you can't just grab a HELOC and be like, okay, I'm going to take it because look what just happened. Yeah. Right? Rates went through the roof. Seven, we're now what, seven, seven, seven? Let's the do overnight it. rate's what, five points now? Yeah. Right? So you take you take a HELOC that was maybe costing you five, six hundred bucks, and now you're at thirteen, fourteen hundred a month. I know. Right? So now you combine that with your regular mortgage, uh, kids in daycare or whatever, car payments, <laughs> that Costco trip, which, by the way, like, now there's a you go for one thing. <laughs> How is it thing. possible that one thing costs four hundred dollars? <laughs> it's not. It's one basket right? of things. <laughs> and whoever, I, I'll tell you this right now: whoever designed the layout of Costco, I want to shake his hand. One hundred percent. Stop putting those stupid bars <laughs> beside the cash register. They're genius. Because I'm stuck waiting. They're like, yeah, okay, fine. Give me some chewy <laughs> bars and oh look, gummies and it's genius. You know, oh, I'm buying them for the kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, and 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 that's. That's really the the big thing is that these added costs are what's putting people in this distress. A hundred percent. And you can't just give it back. Well, you can. You got to pay it off, yeah. right? And that that leads me to where I talk to people, and I mention to them, I'm like, look, if you were to sell your house today, pay off your mortgage, pay off all your debt, and put money in your pocket, you're fine. Hundred percent. There's nothing wrong. Just it may seem a little tight. Just keep pushing forward. But if you sell your house, you pay off your mortgage, you pay off your debt, and there's not enough money, you got a problem. You got a problem. And you might not be able to solve that problem. Yeah. And that's the part that hurts. Yeah. Right? But then they're going to go talk to someone, and they're going to be like, yeah, no problem. I can solve this for you. Just because you get a solution does not mean it's worth it. No. Because you're in a bigger... Like, you can get a second mortgage to pay off debt. It's a band-aid. Because now in 12 months, you're going to have more debt to pay off. Correct. You're better off just selling your house, even if you got to go rent. But at least it puts you a zero. You put some money in your pocket. You reset. Right? And But people don't want to hear that. No. Because then to them, they feel, well, I failed. No, you didn't fail. You didn't fail. You fail if you lose. Exactly. But you don't just lose You hit the you wall. Reset. That's it. And again, you know, I don't want to be harsh or rude, but... If you couldn't get through COVID, something was going to get you eventually. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. It's just the truth of the matter. If you didn't have, you know, we're always told about saving for a rainy day. Well, the rainy day came. Yeah. The rain is here. It's, it happened. It's in the form of inflation. You know, <laughs> and just, it's, <laughs> I've said this before. People like, I don't know. They look at it. I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch, but... 1919, we had the Spanish flu. <laughs> then you had the Roaring Twenties, where roaring everybody 20s. got rich. Yeah. In the thirties, you had the Depression. That's right. They skipped the twenties. Yeah. That's all they did. They literally went from COVID to jacking up the rates. Yeah. Which during COVID, what they tell you? Oh, the rates are going to stay low. You're fine. Come, Come on. Really. I found a video <laughs> clip. I'm going to send it to you. I found a video clip from 1981, City News, where people were like, the mortgage rates are at 18%. And a person actually said, I don't think we'll ever see 12% mortgages again. It's cycles. It's all cycles. It just does this. Yep. Just repeats. That's all it is. And the longer you're in the business, the more you see it. Guess what? Will we see 1.5% mortgage rates? Not in our near future. No. I don't think so. I don't, unless the unthinkable happens. Who knows? But if you really want to 
break it down, five to six percent is still free money. It's still affordable. It's cheap. Like I, st- and I, I know. I think I say this on almost every podcast. But when I bought my first home, interest rates were five or six yeah. percent. Yes, the cost of homes were different, but like you said, it doesn't matter the interest rate you're paying. It's the size of the mortgage. The size of the mortgage. Because at the end of the day, I will gladly pay twenty points on a hundred k. Easy. Then one point on a million. <laughs> There's good math. And not for the size of the interest payment, because I can pay off a hundred thousand. Exactly. How am I going to pay off a million? Yeah. If the rain comes, what do I do? Right. So again, it does not matter. It's the ability to be mortgage free. So if you're buying, like during COVID, not during COVID, right after when everything started to go up, yeah. I worked with a couple that sold their house, sold a condo in Woodbridge, bought a detached in Barrie, put down 50%, walked away with $300,000. Nothing wrong with that. Perfect. That's exactly where you want to be. Because yeah. guess what? You will be mortgage free. Yes. Right. So you can run the scenario of you bought a house in 2016, got a five year mortgage. So from 25-year AM to 2021, accelerated bi-weekly, you went to 17 years AM. You renew at the same specs. Now in 2026, you're going to be at 12.5. But guess what? It's another 12 and a half years. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, but if I go to 25 or 30, I'm, I'm going to lower my payment, have more money. My po- Keep going. Because then guess what? Instead of having an extra 400 in your pocket, you're going to have your mortgage in your pocket. Exactly. And there's no better feeling than... Working and all that money going into your pocket. All of it. It's yours. But why? Because you bought something you can afford. Yes. Because it comes down to how much you're paying. Accountability, man. It's all on you. It's all on you. You can't blame anybody else for anything in this world. No. What's what's that old saying? Uh, You you point one finger and there's, what, three? Yeah, three, three, four. I don't know. There's a couple of them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, yeah, it's, it's... and again, it's just another reason why, you know, people need to sit down and have these types of conversations with, with real professionals, right? And that's, I think that's really what we're missing. You know, people talk about how, how did we get here? How are people, you know, they're, they're, they're going sideways now. And, you know, I have people calling me every, literally every single day asking me, hey, Clyde, you know, interest rates are up. What do I do? I mean... What you should have done is call me before, (laughs) but I'll help you now. Well, even too, Clyde, you get a call and it's like, I can't afford my house. I have to sell. You don't ever want to hear those words because you'll get the other agent who comes in. Well, your seller's motivated. Well, what does that mean? What do you mean? Are are they desperate? Is that what you're asking? That's pretty much what they're asking. Right? So you want me to tell you, yeah, these guys are on their last legs. Offer whatever you want so that you can hose them, right? But why are people in this situation? Because of what you just said. Why don't you come talk to me sooner where we could have bought you time? Yes, right. a solution. Maybe we could have done a small second, pay off some debt, um, you know, again, do an interest prepayment so that we mitigate a lot of the default risk and allows you to use the next 12 months to just work, put money together, fix what you gotta fix, sell with your head high because guess what and i've said this forever unless somebody says something nobody knows no so if you just shut your mouth do what you have to do nobody's the wiser no just do your part that's it that's it plain and simple we have a fiduciary duty to keep our mouth shut 
which is what we do. I've done mortgages for friends. I see them in circles. We don't talk business. No. Because why would I? No. You know, you, like we were talking about before, friends and family, yeah. right? You have that conversation with them. First of all, they're not going to tell you the truth. And even if they do, it, it makes it awkward. Yeah. But a true professional can just push it aside. It's got nothing to do with me. Exactly. I'm just here to provide a service. And that's where the differences or what the differences are between a true professional, true mortgage professional, industry professional, and maybe your everyday consumer, your everyday somebody. <laughs> we won't pick on them. Something. <laughs> <laughs> so we we talked a, a lot about, about real estate and economics. Now, Talk to me a little bit about the, the lending side of, of what you do at, uh, at Union. Give us a little bit of information about that. Exactly that, just straight lending. Um, you know, applications can range from anywhere from a debt consolidation to uh, I lost my job, I want to grow my business, I want to take equity out. It, it just, it, it's a solutions-based company, um, you know, the uh, really focus on three things, which would be equity, location, and borrower. Not all three need to be there. Two or three are great. At least one has to make sense. Um, but lately, it's just been a lot of you're you're really lending on on location, but you you want to make sure that the exit, which is the borrower, that there's something there. And two years ago, the conversation was always the same. It's like, oh, I need a private mortgage. My exit strategy isn't going to sell. Hmm. We can't do that anymore. That's all I can't I rely hear. on that, right? Yeah. I, I, okay, great. I'm going to sell. No, you're not. I can't. It, it could take you six months to sell. It could take you a day to sell. You can't rely on that. What are the odds of you doing this will get you into a B lender or will get you back to a bank where then you can worry about selling because you're at a cheaper thing. So... That is a lot of what we do is our own underwriting and really getting down to the root of the problem and how we can help the borrower. And it's just as simple as that. The stress in the applications has really, really changed. Mm -hmm. You know, like before we were seeing a lot of equity takeouts to, you know, rentals, do pools. And mm -hmm. now it's like, I got to pay bills. I got to pay the bill for that pool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, you know, or I lost my job. And that's the tough one because that's the one where, you know, you have to be like, well, you have no income. How are you going to support it? If, like, if you got equity, we can get by for 12 months. Mm -hmm. But you got to have a job. You got to have a way to get back on your feet or this is where you just sell. Right, which is what they don't want to hear. Mark. They don't want to hear, and unfortunately, we're in a business where they're just going to go find someone who's going to tell them what they want to hear. And you know, you said it best. I think that sometimes what you don't want to hear is what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. um, so th that's that's really a union. It's what we do. Like we're traditional mortgage brokerage, uh, institutional, private. Um, the lending through our own network. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't outsource uh, funds. We work with a very select uh, group of uh, uh, colleagues and lenders. And um, if we can, uh, if we can help, great. If not, then uh, 
we'll see if we can send you in the right path to find you a solution. Very good. And it's, you know, people are probably saying, well, Clyde, you bring, you know, bring, bring Mike on. He's talking about union, but the, it's, it's not about the brand or it's not it's because we work together. Exactly. Right. Like if you can find the solution for somebody, then, you know, <laughs> see, but that brings up so many different aspects of the business that you, there's no point even talking about because they won't even understand it. Mm. And, you know, like there's ways to do things together. Yes. And there's ways that I don't really look at this, but I, uh, you do look at this and vice versa. So it's like, why would you put yourself in a position where you alienate other people, right? Like if I get an application and the way the private side works is access to fund. Mm -hmm. So if it comes at a time where I don't have access to funds, I have a relationship with Clyde and Uptown Financial that I can be like, Clyde, this person needs help. I'm not in a position to do it. Can you please take this on? Yeah. So why would I not do that? It makes sense. Right? So then <laughs> that leads me to where we were discussing before, professional courtesy. Professional courtesy. Which doesn't exist in this world. No, it doesn't. Because people look at everything negatively. People look at everything as like a competition. We're all in this together. Yes. Right? There's a reason why there's not one rich person in the world. Because people can work together. Because if that was the case, you wouldn't have McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, Harvey's. They all do the same thing. Burger and fries. Mm-hmm. Then you even get the guys that take it to the next level. But everybody seems to make money. Yes. Right? I remember once when I got in and I heard somebody say, how come all insurance agents are rich? And the person said, because all the broke ones failed. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> you only see what you're shown. This is true. Right? But you don't know how hard those guys work. Oh, gosh. So the people that are here that are making money that are trying to help you, you don't see what they're doing in the background. The, oh, well, look, yeah, look how many realtors are leaving the industry. Look how many mortgage agents uh, don't, don't do mortgages anymore. What does that have to do with anything? Well, you're happy that they failed? <laughs> you know, like, how would you feel if we walked around and was like, oh, I'm glad you lost your job. Wait, what's wrong? You couldn't swing a hammer? Like it, it just doesn't make sense. No. Right? And so, and I think that's one reason why I get such a, a joy out of the mortgage side is because you can help people, even though it's perceived that we don't. I think that's actually the foundation of what we do is yeah. helping people. Because although I wish it wasn't the case, the majority of the time, the people that are the people that are coming to us are those that are in need of help and they've probably tried their bank and the bank probably said no. And now they're coming to us to say, Mike, Clyde, I need your help. And, you know, they're looking for that solution and often one that we can provide because you have access to the banks, you have access to the bees and, you know, your credit unions, but you also have access to private capital that can help you, that can be the solution that might be your transition to the next 12 months or 24 months yeah. or whatever you need. But again, I, I bring it back to the original point. Imagine you came to us first. We haven't really touched on it either. Like, I, I'm, yes, private lending costs money. Of course. And, you know, it definitely not as cheap as going to the bank or a B lender. 
but without being rude, there's a reason why you can't go to the banker and be lending. Of course. So now you have to ask yourself, what are you willing to do to change that? It's my job to make sure that whatever scenario solu or solution is presented to you doesn't harm you. Correct. Once you put all those pieces together, then it should work out. Yeah. But at the end of the day, and I know like my staff says all the time, it's not simple. But I say it's simple math. It's simple math. It really is. Right? One plus one always equals two. Right? So you do the math, you, you, you ask yourself the questions, and you work it all back. And if it makes sense, then you do it, right? But if, like you said, if you sell your house and you pay off the mortgage and you do pay off your debts and all these things and the math doesn't make sense and you're 12 months out and you have to pay interest on it, then the math says sell. The answer that you don't want, but I'm telling you. But on the other side, if it the math is good and you have still good equity in the home and you bought yourself 12 months, then a private mortgage is the solution because it allows you to reset. It's a bridge. Yeah, there you go. It's a bridge. It's a bridge. That's a big thing too is that the whole industry has evolved, mm -hmm. right? Like you used to say bridge loan, it meant one thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just going, I'm in between sales. But now essentially it's like you're just bridging two points in time. Exactly. And they could be any point. Mm -hmm. It's it's different. Definitely different. It's a different perspective on lending, though. It is. You don't you don't want to look at it from a predatory point of view, but it can be that, of course. But when you can actually sit there, like I remember one client, and she was such a sweetheart, such a she was an older lady, and um, like she just she just needed time. That's all she wanted. Just give me time. And you know what? We were in the we were able to find her a six month, just an extension. Just found somebody to kind of buy the paper for six months, give her time to get her affairs in order. She sold the property, everybody was happy at the end right. of the day. Right? And we didn't even do an interest rate. We did a flat fee. Because sometimes that's what makes sense. It just it, it works. Yeah. Um, I have a lender that I work with a lot and he always says, if the deal's amazing, I don't care what I make on it. I'll make something. If the deal's difficult, then we'll talk about what I make. And it makes sense, right? So if you are in a position and the deal's very risky and I'm taking a risk of losing my money, then I need some reward for it. Mm -hmm. But if it's a deal that is going to make me some money but provide you with a with a solution and there's really no risk involved, then I don't care. No problem. Let's go. Right? I'll share the fact that I'm in a better situation. And it's it's not something to be ashamed of. Right? Everybody was down is down at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, even even if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you're going to hit a point where you're gonna, you're going to meet somebody who's better at better at something than of course. Right? And that's what makes you stronger. Yeah. So everybody has an opportunity to do something that will benefit somebody else. And that's who you want to work with. Well put, my friend. Thanks. I just came up with a knock. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's transition. And this one's a little bit of a slippery slope. Let's talk about views on social media. And how much time do you got? Oh, yeah. 
look, it's there. I understand why the industry needs it or wants it. I just don't get the emphasis on it. I don't understand the negativity surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be on Twitter nonstop, and it will make you think that the entire real estate industry is going to collapse in mm-hmm. 24 hours. Yeah. Not one positive educational thought. It's just nonstop. Realtors suck. Mortgage agents are the devil. The keep buying houses. You guys are all going to lose. Like, that's all you read. It's negative. It's just, it's so depressing. It is. You know, and it's like, but these are professionals. That's the thing I don't get. Is like, you're putting down your own industry. Why? What are you trying to prove? That what? You were the first one to say it was going to crash? Did you short it? Did you watch the movie and think you're going to short it? I, I just, I don't get it. So then it's like, but if that's so negative, then why are we putting such an emphasis on it? Why is it that everybody has to be, well, did you post today? How often did you post? Well, you should be posting this and that and that. Look, if it works for you, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Guess what? There's a lot of creators that are online. I enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of good information. It's just not for me. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't have to be for I don't anybody. care, right? But when I go on Twitter, because I use Twitter a lot for sports. Like mm-hmm. I, I like yeah, finding on, on, on the, the speed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm in this industry. And you're just literally sitting there acting like, well, if I'm not working, I'm going to make sure nobody else is working. Hmm. If you spent that, the amount of time that you do putting everything down, my God, you'd, you'd be unstoppable. There you go. Put that time and energy into, into yourself, into right. making and, yourself better. And I'm sorry, I know this is a professional podcast. We're talking about professional issues, but look what social media does to kids, man. Like it's it's started. not even a conversation I want to have, but it's like, like I took the iPad away from my daughter, and it's like she was she was she was devastated. Mm-hmm. But I, I I was even I was telling Evan like I tell her all the time, you want to watch YouTube, watch arts and crafts, mm-hmm. emulate it exactly, learn, learn from it yeah. because YouTube's a great. Even for professionals. Of course, it's a great resource. Look videos. I watch Tom Ferry all the time. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, but when you're sitting there scrolling through TikTok the all, all oh the time, gosh. it ain't education. No, it's okay, not. It's not. But there is education on TikTok. There is. You gotta go find it. You gotta go it. find it. Yeah. But what they're showing you in the algorithm, it's not there. It's not. Oh right? God. And then, you know, even if you see on Instagram and you see a lot of realtors posting their listings on their professional page, great. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Do it. Because it's a way to get it out there. I appreciate that. But then you see the other half where it's like, you see, I don't need to see your life. Like you want to have a private page, friends Mm -hmm. and family, you share your vacation. No problem. I got no problem with that. Exactly. But if this is your professional page open to the public, I don't need to see that. There's such thing as personal and professional. Right. So that's the part that irritates me about social media. And again, I'm not trying to alienate anybody. I I hope you make all the money in the world and it stems from what you put your effort into. Mm -hmm. But it just drives me nuts when it's like thrown in our face that, well, if you don't do this, you're not going to succeed. That's just not the case. No. It's just not the case because it's the same thing as 
when we were discussing uh, cold calling and cold knocking, mm-hmm. you may not want to do it, but you have to do it at yeah. some point. Yeah, you got to put in your reps. You can't say, well, I'm not doing that if you've never done it. Right? Like, if you have done it, then by all means, you're past it. Yeah. Now you can, you can say, I don't, I don't do that anymore, but you took the time to get the education yeah. to understand why exactly. you had to do it. Yes. And that's, you know, <laughs> I still remember, I mean, I, I'm going to completely go off, off, target, off uh, script here, but I still remember going to knock on my first door. Right, and I hate door knocking. I think I've said this to you many, many times. I do not like door knocking. It's not for me. You know, put me on the phone or sit me down in front of someone. But I remembered because I like, like you said, you got to do it. So I remember walking up the stairs and knocking on that first door, and every single part of me was, "Please do not answer." That's what I was thinking because I was like, I just committed to going, answering, and talking to someone was a whole different conversation. And uh, I, I remember staring through that window, staring through that glass, and I, I saw the lady, you know, come out of what probably was her family room and start walking to the door, and uh, my heart dropped. Because <laughs> now I'm like, oh, no, this is real. This, this means I'm going to have to say something. Yeah, I, gotta, I can't just go yeah. and say I door knock yeah. now, right, yeah. and get the reps in. I can right? just leave my flyer in the <laughs> door and run the other way. <laughs> you know? And, um, but there was something to be said, you know, from that, that first interaction and no, I didn't get the listing. I don't think she gave me like 30 seconds, but what I learned at that, in that moment was it's okay to, you know, step outside of your comfort zone. It's okay to have the conversation with the stranger because yes, you saw it through and you didn't die at the end of it. And so now, okay, great. I dealt with rejection. I've learned from it. Let's go knock on the next door. Well, it's the same thing when you, what's the first thing they teach you in sales? The elevator pitch. Oh yeah. Right? Gotta have it. Elevator pitch is the stupidest thing in the world. (laughs) But it's not about standing in an elevator talking to someone for 30 seconds. No. It's having the comfort. Exactly. To speak about who you are quickly. Exactly. Getting to the point. Yeah. That's just, that's all it is. Yeah. Nobody's telling you to go stand and do it, right? Because you literally can't do yeah. it. No, it's it's so it's impossible. I hope you're on the 52 and yeah. they're going to one, it's, right? It's physically, <laughs> it's uh, mentally, it's it's everything impossible in 30 seconds to say that because you'll stumble. Oh, you, you will. Right? But it's teaching you to be like, if especially if you're at a networking event, <laughs> right? You know, hi, I'm Mike. This is what I do. I'm Clyde. This is what I do. What do you do? Like that's all I need to hear mm. within the first 15 to 30 seconds to see if there's a, a, a next step to this conversation. Yes. Or you use colleagues to be introduced, mm-hmm. and then that expands the conversation. But again, what did you do to make your colleague feel comfortable enough to introduce you to somebody? Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the door knocking, that's the cold calling, that's the elevator pitch. That's the experience because it shows that you're knowledgeable, you're hardworking, you're willing to do what you have to do. You're not just, hey, I got my license or I got my ability to offer this service. Now go and help me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's literally the difference. Yeah. Taking the time to uh, get your reps, get your education. Take your lumps. Take your lumps. <laughs> 
take your losses. It's, it's simple. It's, it, it's it's just true, man. Like you know, like I did. I could have very easily said, "I don't want the private mortgage course." Mm. Fine, I'll go be level one. Mm. But why? Why? I've done it for so long. Why would I do that? Mm. Why? Because I don't want to go take the course. I I think I don't need it. The minute you think that you can't learn anymore or your database can't grow, then then you're done. Then you have a problem. Yeah, because it's it never stops growing. Mm-hmm. Always got to be growing. Always. So what motivates you and what's your why? And you, I, I, I la- I'm laughing because you, you pointed to yeah. the picture and, you know, the deep desire. But, you know, what is what is your your quote unquote deep desire? What what motivates you? Honestly, my family. That's the end of it. It's just family. Like, uh, as long as they're happy, they got a roof on their head, food's on the table, that's what motivates me. I have my own subtle motivations where it's like, you know, I want this or I want that, but they would not jump in front of my family. Mm-hmm. So my true motivation right now is making sure that my kids are as happy as can be, that me and my wife have as happy a life as possible uh, within the realm of, you know, married life, <laughs> right? Because uh, like w- one thing I always like to say, nothing's perfect. No, right, no so is perfect. and I remember re- I can't remember if I read it or I heard it, but uh, life is like a heart monitor, right? It's up and down. If mm-hmm. it's flatline, you're dead. You're dead. You got a problem. Right. So you know, I do everything. My wife works just as hard as I do, and honestly, I wouldn't be able to be where I am if it wasn't for her. And, but as long as my kids are happy and my wife's happy and we have a roof over our head, then that's what drives me. Mm-hmm. That's what motivates me. After that, what pushes me are just the little things that I want, you know, the, the fun things in life. I love to collect Lego. You know, I, I, I always joke if, uh, if I had more space, I'd have a Lego room. Um, you know, I'd love to be fortunate enough, even though it's pain, uh, you know, have seasons tickets to the Leafs, right? Oh, little things like that, right? Like I, I've, heart monitors. Yeah, right? exactly, right? <laughs> like, I've literally, I've, I've, I've formatted it in a way where, Everything I do is based on family, and then after that is just things that I want. Travel, like little, little things like that. Like, if you asked me this question 10 years ago, I probably would have told you money, because mm-hmm. I didn't know any better, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like I said to you before, it's all about what your definition of success is. It is, but money's just, it's just a means. Yeah, it's great, to. don't get me wrong. Yeah. But even with money, it, if you're by yourself, it, Sure, you're probably having fun, but it makes no difference. When we talk about, you know, we talk about money since we're on the topic, you know, and I, I ask this question to, you know, to friends often because, you know, he's, he's, you're working, you're doing your bit, and, you know, you're, you're, you're doing well, you know, you're paying your bills, maybe your mortgage is paid off, or you're comfortable. And I'm sure you get to the point where you start asking yourself, you know, like, how much is enough, right? How much, how much do you need? How hard do you want to work? At what point in time do you... Do you slow down? And, you know, I don't know. I, I struggle with it, man. I don't think there's an answer. Like, truly, I don't think it's, it's ever enough because we're, we're human. Like, we could always want more. Mm-hmm. 
but again, like I, I, I just I I put everything back to as long as my family's happy, I'm happy. Um, you know, but if you really look at it from that for how hard we work, I think there's always something you're gonna strive for. There's always something you're gonna want, mm-hmm. right? Because like we said before, if if you don't continue to build your book of business or you don't continue to build your network, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. So if you don't continue to strive for something, then you're just going to become complacent and then what? Do nothing. Yeah, I, you know, it'll stop. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, listen, now, before I say this, I am not telling people to do this. I'm just saying it's often what I do, and anytime I find that I want to, you know, let's say make more money. Or, or achieve a new goal financially, I'll often go out and I'll, and I'll spend money on something that I'm like, okay, I want to buy a new car, or I'm going to buy a new car because I want to make this next that year. That makes sense. I wanna, I'm going to go buy this watch because I want to do that. And because I'm the guy that's the opposite, where it's like, okay, I got to motivate myself to do it, just like everybody <laughs> else. So if I buy a new car, I do not want car payments. So guess exactly. what Clyde's going to do? I want to work to pay it off. I'm going to work to pay that which stuff is off. Which is, there's no different than, there's no difference than working to amass it to go buy it. Exactly. It's the same thing. You're just reversing. Exactly. And you can do that with, with things like that, right? Like my car died mm-hmm. uh, about a month ago. So I had to get a new car. Oh gosh. Two years right. ahead before I wanted to. Exactly. Right. But everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So now that I have an extra payment, which I don't want mm-hmm. and I didn't plan for, mm-hmm. I got to work a little bit harder for That's it. Right. So everything happens for a reason. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And like, you know, just looking at uh, that piece, you know, you're talking about cars, you know, I'm looking and I'm saying, could I hold on to my car or do I buy a new car? And, you know, and I'm driving here today and I'm, I'm listening to 680 News and we're talking about, you know, it's you get older. Talk <laughs> radio. It's, it's <laughs> talk radio. It's, you know, silence. You know, I still do podcasts a little bit. Right. But it's not it's not so much about the music anymore. But anyhow, so I'm driving in here and um, they were saying, you know, people are making hard choices now yeah. about, you know, do they drive the old cars or go out and buy something new? Do they? you know, take, make the choice, pardon me, of, you know, spending that extra time that they should have to go out there and have a second job or find a second job in order to try to make more, in order to just afford their current lifestyle because things now are just so absurdly expensive. Sure, or you're even having people think about what octane gas they're putting in. Am I putting 87 or 91? Yeah. Oh, my car only takes 91. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right, but if you have a car that takes both, you're gonna take the cheaper, mm-hmm. which ends up be see, and and this is the part that's tr- it be becomes crazy because it literally it's like it's a twenty dollar difference. Mm-hmm. So what does twenty bucks mean to you? What is twenty dollars? What is twenty dollars? Right, and that's where I think you start making the hard choices because what is twenty dollars? Because where the worlds come, twenty dollars is lunch. Yeah, right. But when we were just in high school going out on a Saturday night to the bowling alley, 20 bucks was the entire night. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you look at that? Yeah. Right? Like, I was laughing because uh, I always put my loose change in my kids' piggy banks. Mm -hmm. I was bored one day, so I went to go, let me see how much money I've actually put in these accounts, in these accounts, in these piggy banks. banks. Man, I kind of got more money than I do right now. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And... But it teaches you something like, wow, look at saving. Something 
And I did this as a kid one year. I put all my loose change away from June to, I think it was October 1st. I must have collected over three grand. Yeah. And like, yeah. you're like, but how and change it? Every time I broke a bill, I put the change, but I didn't spend the change. Where does it go? Where does it go now? So then I started, I started kind of coaching myself or programming myself that I don't want to break $20 to get a dollar candy bar. Exactly. But if I got five bucks, that, that thing's not lasting. It's not. That's <laughs> I'll it. buy two. Yeah. But now you can't. Five bucks, I, don't, I think it gets slushy now. <laughs> um, right? But yeah, it's, it's how much it has changed. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy how much, how much is just everything has changed. Everything. Right? And that's why, you know, it, it takes me right back to, that's why, I, you know, I asked the question and, you know, I ask everyone and it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to think, you know, and, but at the end of the day, it's just, uh, I guess we just keep finding a, another reason to keep going or keep doing what we're doing because it's tough to, it's tough to answer that one. You work hard. So you get invited to a part two of a podcast. A hundred percent. So. Let me ask you the, the last question, which, you know, I'm sure the realtors that are out there, the mortgage professionals, agents, brokers that are out there, you know, they'd want me to ask you. So, you know, someone like yourself with all the experience, what would you say to a, a young realtor or a young mortgage professional that's just starting out or might be thinking about getting into mortgages or real estate today? What would you, what would you tell them? Don't be afraid. Just... Don't be afraid. Whatever you have to do to succeed, do it. Whether it's picking up the phone, whether it's knocking on the door, whether it's asking for a referral, whether it's admitting you don't understand something and can you clarify it, just don't be afraid. I've been doing this now for 15 years, I think. I still ask my underwriter. I'll say, like, how does this work? Or why is it like this? Even though I know the answer, I want clarity or I want to make sure I remember the answer or could it have changed? So my biggest piece of advice to anybody wanting to start in this industry would be do not be afraid. Straight up. Just go for it. If you don't fall flat on your face, you'll never know what it feels like. And you won't know what to do not to do it. Right? We all learned with the don't touch the hot stove. Yeah. What was the best way to learn? Touch the That's hot stove. <laughs> You'll never touch it again. No, sir. Right? And so here, and like you said, if I'm going to pick up the phone or I'm going to talk to somebody, I want to hear no so I know what to change. Mm -hmm. And I actually just was talking to a new agent, and I asked, I said, when you're doing cold knocking, what are you saying? And they gave me the spiel, and they're like, well, I introduce myself, and I do this, and then I asked them if they had any interest in moving. I said, see, but right there is where you're wrong. That's what and you lost them. Sorry, let me rephrase that. You're not wrong. You took a different avenue. But when you're talking to somebody, nobody wants to be put in the position where they need to make a decision. So if you want to do it, then, hi, I'm your local realtor. I'm your local mortgage broker. Uh, I live in the area. I'm here for any questions. Here's my information. You wouldn't happen to know anybody that's looking for... Uh, services whatever. whatever but you're not making it about them no. you're just introducing yourself Do you know anyone asking them buy or sell then or as you start to get more comfortable you can start to do plays on it like you know especially on the real estate side or you can knock on a door even though you've done your research and be like i have clients 
your property wouldn't happen to be a four bedroom, would it? Because they're really looking to move into the area. Mm-hmm. And that's where the wheels start moving. Right. But it takes experience to learn that. So that is exactly what I would coach is that just don't be afraid. Fall flat on your face. It's the best learning experience ever. And just go for it. And don't get discouraged. No. Like, look, within your first your first three years are the most miserable years. Yeah. They're lonely. Once you get past three, I, I think my first year I did one mortgage. I, I literally, I think I quit every day. <laughs> wanted to go back to my job. Yeah. And now it's like I can't imagine not doing it because you get over it. You get past it. You do. I, I remember, you know, my first year in mortgage, I think I did something. It was like 26000 or $26,000. And, you know, not, not, not a lot of money when you got to think about supporting your family and all these things. But, you know, I did what I had to do and, you know, rolled up my sleeves exactly. and made it work. But the point of it was I didn't quit. No. And, you know, 15 years later, here we are. And if I had, you know, done what a lot of people do, which is, you know, I, this is just, it's too hard. I can't do it. I can't, I'm not going to endure it. I'm going to quit. We like obviously we wouldn't be here today. No, we wouldn't. And like you, you always have to be happy. And if it's something's not making you happy, then you have to find what's making you happy. Yes. But you have to give it enough time to truly see it mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see anything. Your first year is always the hardest. No, you're learning. I, I, I remember I cold called the CEO once, and he's like, "How'd you get my number?" I said, "Your website." Right, and he's like, "Okay." And I'm like, I'd like to come in and talk to you. He's like, I don't have time. I go, can I ask you a question? I went, I went balls on this one. I go, can I ask you a question? And he's like, sure. I go, when you first started out in business, did you just get the keys to the company? He's like, no. I go, so why are you giving me such a hard time? He goes, okay, when do you want to come? Come on. Yeah, that's where we go. Just like that. Just like that. But you know what? You want to know why I did that? Sorry, let me say the backstory. I heard a bunch of no's the entire day I got fed up. I should have probably said the backstory first, but anyways, <laughs> I got fed up. So I was like, you know what, man? What I do I got to lose? I just want to What am I going to get? Another no? That's it. I, 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 and no. to be honest, I don't even remember the conversation. Mm. Like, I went to go see him. I don't remember where it went. I honestly can't, but I remember that. And guess what? The next day, I still heard a bunch of no's. <laughs> it just happens. But it it's part of the is. business. It is. You didn't die. No, right? That's I what I like to say. I'm like, but did you die? Right? <laughs> now I just go to the coffee shop and hear the no's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got somebody. I'm working with somebody. I know somebody. No who knows somebody? Everybody knows somebody. Yeah. I didn't even say a word. All I said, hi, Mike. <laughs> so, whatever. <laughs> you're selling something. I'm selling education. You're, you're, you're here at the coffee shop on a weekday. You're selling something. Yeah, exactly. We all are. Mike, um, you know, I just want to say it's it's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been a awesome. pleasure to have you here, Van. I, as I said, long overdue, um, and uh, looking forward to uh, to the next time. But um, before we uh, sign off, why don't you tell everybody where do they find you? Oh, see, now I got to go talk about social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm online. Website is my name, www.michaelsistilli.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on threads. Hey! I'm on threads. <laughs> um, LinkedIn. 
I'm all over the map. I may not like it, but I use it. Yeah, you don't like it, but you're there. I'm there. I'm there. And uh, again, Clyde, thank you so much for the invite. It's uh, much appreciated. I love sitting down with you, and uh, I look forward to the next one. And you know, you, you should be proud of what you've created here. And uh, it's it's truly a testament uh, to your hard work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Till the next time. Next time. Uptown experts, we're out.